Oops, sorry, didn't mean to drop you. Today is July 24, 2002, and it's my pleasure to be here with Mabel Durrell, who is famous for her encyclopedic memory about Brookline, and she's agreed to spend a little bit more time with me. And so uh, we thought we'd kind of have a, just a general chit-chat uh, and just see what comes. Um, we were thinking that maybe there might be some good uh, memories to share about town activities. And uh, I know you and I have talked about the Christmas tree, but I don't know if we've yeah, talked okay. about it on the tape. Uh, there was uh, a program that was called the Community Christmas Tree every year. And every child in town got one of those little boxes of candy and a small gift. And, uh, you know, it was a, a town activity. Everybody just showed up for it. And somebody Where? played Santa Claus at the town hall in the auditorium. And the uh, grades one through five would put on a program. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes grades one and two would do their own program because that was one room and one teacher. And then sometimes three, four, and five would do theirs. And I remember one specific year, I can't remember what grade I was in, but probably around second or third, uh, probably third. And uh, all five grades put together this big production, uh, you know, uh, together for the, the Christmas uh, program. And uh, as I've said before, um, Clarence Fowle, who was a short, uh, chunky little fellow, uh, came out onto the platform, and he was probably first or second, first grade, I imagine, uh, and one year. And the title of his piece that he had memorized was Christmas. And when he said Christmas, you could hear it all over the town of Brookline. You know? <laughs> it was just so funny. And during the war years, uh, there were no fellows to play Santa Claus because they were all off fighting the war. And so my aunt, Miriam Spencer Smith Jepson, uh, was of the proper proportions, and so she played Santa Claus. And her youngest daughter, uh, Norma Lee, uh, was about two years old or so, uh, and um, Norma's 11 years younger than I am, so she was born in uh, 41. Uh, so it had been 42, 43 when this happened. And um, of course, Andy was all dressed up in the Santa Claus outfit. And do you think Norma Lee was going to have anything to do with Santa Claus? No way. She just screamed her bloody brains out. <laughs> she wasn't going to go near Santa Claus for anything. But every child got something. And I think I still have at home one of the last things I got, which was a wooden pin, uh, like a puppy dog sitting down. And he's sort of, um, oh, and that Weimaraner, wineish uh, brown color, and he's got a blue um, ribbon tied around his neck, you know. But that, that was the, the one thing. I don't remember anything else I ever got, but I, I do remember that. And then um, at the church, at the Congregational Church, every year, uh, I think it was in May or June, they had what they called Children's Sunday. 
and you memorize the piece. Uh, sometimes it was a little play it, um, sometimes uh, you had an individual piece. And even though we had moved out of the center of town, uh, my mother always saw to it that I went to uh, Mrs. Bishop, who was the minister's wife, and got my little piece and the one for my brother. And my father would see to it, or somebody would, that we got down to church and set our piece, and then you would get a flower. Uh, you know, a potted plant, usually a geranium or a petunia. I, I can't remember what I used to get, but um, I, I can uh, remember that uh, happening, and that was uh, one of the things that was a big deal at the church. Every Memorial Day, there were exercises um, at the town, and then um, in the town hall auditorium, um, the schools would put on different exercises, and I remember the year I was in the seventh and eighth grades, I gave the Gettysburg Address, and um, I can still remember about two-thirds of it, uh, <laughs> and that was back a ways, but um, there was always a brass band. One year it rained, and so the brass band was moved inside into the town hall auditorium, and that's... Um, had to be the precursor to the uh, volume of rock and roll music because uh, it was deafening. And then we would march um, down to Pine Grove Cemetery and we would uh, place the flags on the um, markers uh, for the servicemen and it was uh, usually around the time that the lilacs came out and some of us would pick lilacs and we would take them down and put them on the graves. And Florence Barnaby, whose house it is, that is the uh, thing that houses the Brookline Historical Society, uh, always carried the flag uh, in the parade. She belonged to the American Legion, and she always carried the flag. And she carried that flag all the years that I went to school and for years afterwards uh, until she uh, finally ended up in um, a senior center in Mulford someplace. Did you know her at all? Oh, yes. Well, what was she like? What kind of well, she was, because um, I was a child, uh, she and my mother were contemporaries and they were very close friends. They were very good friends. <clears throat> and, um, excuse me, <clears throat> she, um, I was, she rode a bicycle. Everywhere she went, she rode a bicycle. And even after she left Brookline and went to Milford to, you know, a retirement uh, type of uh, situation, uh, she still rode a bicycle. And I can remember, uh, of course it was a number of years ago now, but I can remember uh, seeing her wheeling her bicycle across the um, yard in the summertime of the Garden Street School. And I knew who she was. I knew she wouldn't recognize me, but I knew who she was. And I went over and spoke to her and told her that I, I was Marjorie uh, Smith Dorrell's uh, daughter. Uh, only they pronounced the Dorrell Dorrell. And um, the, um, she was pleased to see me and, you know, glad that I recognized her. Uh, she was, uh, I think, fairly much of a private person because I was a generation down so I, I didn't get to know her that well but I knew her and she was very very faithful about carrying the flag in the parade and <clears throat> she was very proud of the fact that she did that and she did it up until the years when there were many people that were her contemporaries who did not walk well 
And that's not an easy task. Uh, that thing is slung around your shoulder and around your waist, and it's digging into your gut the whole time that you're carrying it. And because the flag weighs X amount, it's off balance. It, it's ahead of you all the time. And so that it, it's no mean feat to uh, carry that flag. And so I always ad admired her. And I, I thought she was a nice lady, you know. I, I really in, enjoyed what I did know of her. And I, cause she and my mother were close friends. And she was always a person uh, who uh, watched her health. She was in good health. And um, I don't ever remember her being obese or, you know, overweight or anything. And she was always active. And, you know, I mean, she'd ride the bicycle. Um, well, I know she rode it out as far as my mother's house. I would say that she probably rode it into Mulford when she felt like it, but, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be sure. But, uh, you know, everywhere she went, uh, the bicycle went with her. And, um, you know, so she, she was quite a lady. Did, did you know her to have children? I don't know. Uh, that, uh, Donnie would be the one, Donnie Barnaby would be the one to ask that, uh, yeah. because he has uh, the genealogy of everybody in town uh, right on the tip of his tongue. Uh, he's something else. Uh, he really is. And, um, but um, she was too. And uh, she, uh, I'm quite sure I, I spoke to um, Donnie about it at one of the historical meetings that uh, the gentleman that we called Star Barnaby was uh, her husband. Okay. But I'm not sure. And what his real name was outside of Star, God knows. I, you know, I, I, that's all anybody ever referred to him as a Star Barnaby. And so, um, you know, that's how I knew him. And then, um, we talk about Fourth um, of July, uh, because I lived outside of town. Uh, I never got involved uh, with Fourth of July. I'm sure there were parades and bands and things like that, but uh, you know it was just something that uh, I never got involved in. Halloween, uh, my father would not allow us downtown. Why? <laughs> Why is that? Well, because uh, in those days, you know, we can sit and we can talk about this generation. But they would take um, not just shaving cream and uh, do it on people's cars. Uh, you packed your car um, undercover Halloween night, the night before Halloween, because if you didn't, uh, it would be in big trouble. They would take soap, and they would soap the windows. Now, that takes a bit of doing to get that off. Uh, someone who shall remain nameless, but uh, was a woman of uh, large proportions, made the mistake of leaving her bloomers on the clothesline one night, and they got run up the flagpole. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, one year that I remember, um, I think I was in grammar school, um, that um, portico with the railing on top of it that's in the front of the town hall at the entrance. It used to be. Okay. Well, uh, that had, the next morning, that had a buggy on it. No. <laughs> and I don't know how, uh, how that got worked, but it did. And, you know, uh, it was not malicious damage, uh, you know, but the, the, there was a, the mischievous kind of stuff. And, uh, well, my father told me a few stories about the things he did when he was young, but uh, he was not going to allow us to do them. Every year um, we had a party uh, for Halloween. Uh, we had one for Valentine's Day also in, in school, and that the last half of 
probably the Friday afternoon that that happened, uh, or on Halloween that day, uh, we would take costumes to school and we dress up in them and we parade around the rooms and so forth. And what uh, grade are you talking about? Uh, third to fifth. Okay. And, oh, I imagine the first and second did. I can't remember doing it in the first and second, but I know third, fourth, and fifth we did it. And um, it were, was the exchange of Valentine's card? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Always. Uh, you drew names. And that was the fair way of making sure that somebody that was not popular would get at least two Valentines, one from the teacher and one from the person who had drawn their name. Do you remember who this principal was? Uh, we did not have a principal per se. Okay. Uh, we had our teachers. I, I think I've already uh, mentioned, but my first and second grade teacher was Doris Campbell. My third grade teacher was Miss um, Nash, uh, who um, I can't think. Uh, anyway, she married uh, before she left. And then a uh, fourth and fifth grade teacher was a young woman from Lowell uh, named Miss Gleason. My sixth grade teacher was Walter Lemure, and my seventh and eighth grade teacher was um, Marguerite O'Neill uh, from Milford. Uh, the uh, O'Neills that uh, eventually bought the newsstand uh, and ran it in Milford, which uh, for anybody that doesn't know now, that was on the uh, intersection of the Oval and South Street, and it's now just a wide spot in the sidewalk. Uh, it unbelievable that they carried on a business in, in something that was probably n not even six feet wide at the widest point. You know, the magazines and cigarettes and candy and, and so on and so forth were always sold uh, from there. That, that was the newsstand in town. And she and her husband, um, Harold, ran that. And uh, that was eventually sold uh, to the Ross family, uh, Abby Ross. And uh, when that got um, torn down, and then their newsstand moved into what is now uh, Maryland Secretarial uh, Place, which is on the Oval uh, there in Milford. So, um, well, when did you move to? Well, you didn't move. Did you no, live in we we moved. Um, I was in, we lived in South Brookline when I was born. And then we moved various places around, uh, different places, uh, where um, Alvin Taylor lived and his mother, uh, Blanche, lived. Uh, was called the O'Hearn Place, and we lived there. Where is that? Well, that was back of what used to be the Greasy Sink, and, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is gone now. But as you go up the uh, hill, Meeting House uh, Hill there, um, there was a semicircular driveway and it was on the apex of the semicircle. Uh, it was back off the street. Okay, I think that is still there. Now tell us about what you know about Blanche because I've heard that name. Yeah, Blanche, um, she was a um, she was a great person. She was a large woman and um, they had just the one child as far as I know. His name was Alvin. He was eventually to be the chief of police in um, Brookline. Was he a peer of yours? Uh, he was older than I. Uh, probably when I was in grade school, he was in high school. Uh, because um, I, I don't, he, he was, yeah, I, I think he, he was uh, in high school probably when I was in grade school. Or at least in grammar school. But he eventually married a girl that was in my eighth grade graduating class, Estelle Porter.
and um, see Estelle's mother was Marguerite Porter. I can't remember what her father's name was at this point. Um, and Estelle and Marguerite were both in the maternity ward at the same time and both gave birth to children the same time. So, you know, you get grandchildren, aunts, uncles, and whatever mixed up uh, there, you know, the, the relationship. Uh, it, and that was an unusual situation. And um, Alvin Taylor also did photography. He did the photography for my wedding reception, which was at Miriam Jepson's house, and on Meeting uh, House Hill. When was that? Uh, 1950, September. We got married in August, and um, we... Uh, didn't elope, but we just went off uh, because um, we had some resistance in the families and we figured, you know, uh, the easiest thing to do was to just go get married and that was it, which we did. And uh, my mother had a reception for us afterwards and sometime in September and that was at Miriam's house. And I can remember my mother sent out the invitations and I can still see my Aunt Miriam's face when my mother said to her, when she had been questioned as whether the invitations had gone out. Yes, I've got all 200 of them out. And Miriam's chin just fell. And, you know, <laughs> that, that house was not big enough to hold 200 people by any stretch. Well, in case people don't know, Miriam's house also is on Meeting House Hill Road. Right. On the opposite side of the street, it's a little, well, now it's a white house with the corner uh, pillar. In, 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 in on the porch, right. Porch in front. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, let's see, um, I can't, oh, um, they moved there after Norma Lee was born. Norma Lee was born in the little house that's out back of, uh, used to be an inn, um, up, um, on, uh, North Main Wickham? Street before, no, no, not, not, uh, that was the Elmwood. I'm trying, I think, uh, th th one of the inns was the Elmwood, and I'm trying to think of what the name of the other one was, but I can't remember. The uh, Reynolds lived there. <coughs> uh, Rogine, uh, uh, and um, she married a Brookline boy. Del uh, Porter? What? Del Porter? Yes. Because yes. his wife is Rogine. Yep, yep, that's it. Okay. So, wait a minute. Well, he, he met, well, Del Porter Jr., who we always called Sonny. I never called him anything but Sonny, that, and that's what, what he went with uh, when we were kids growing up with Sonny. And then... Um, well, I'm not, I'm not with you on the Reynolds house yet. Okay, then... Um, where is that? Um, and well, the, where the elementary school is now, yeah. you, you head north, and it's on the left-hand side. I'm with you. It, it's a big house. Yes. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think there's any other house between there and Springvale Avenue. I know the house. Okay, that, that and there's a little house out back of it. Yes, okay, indeed. that's where Norma Lee was born, ah. in that house. Were they renting that place? Yes. Uh, Do you remember who owned the house in front? No, I, I don't. Um, so you mean actually born in the house? Yes. Oh, yeah, yes. Right. Yeah, a uh, good share of Miriam's kids were born at home. Uh, Freddie was born in the hospital, um, was the oldest one, and he was one year, one month, one week younger than my brother David. Uh, uh, he was a big baby, and he was strong even as a baby. Uh, before he was totally born, he grabbed hold of the doctor's gown, and they had to pry him loose. <laughs> But um, 
I can remember we went down. Normally was born the first of September, so we went down to Brookline to the pond to to the lake to do our last swim before school started. And as we were walking up Main Street, um, Mrs. Homoleski uh, came out and uh, called to my mother and said, "Did you know that Miriam had her baby last night? It was a little girl." <clears throat> now I had been living with a plethora of male cousins, and so. I was so thrilled that there was going to be another girl. Uh, at the time, 11 years difference in, 11 and a half years almost difference in ages, you know, hadn't descended on me yet. And I ran all the way from the Omaleskis up to <laughs> the house so that I could see this little girl that uh, <laughs> had joined the family. Where did the Omaleskis then? Uh, right next to what used to be the old elementary school. Okay. I'm trying to think of her. Steve, uh, Steve she's mother to uh, Mary uh, and Laura yeah, and Steve Joe and, and Hector and Stevie, you know, that whole family. Oh, you, I want you to walk through that again, but wait a minute. Do you know where Steve and Agnes Homoleski live now? Uh, they I, live right next to the Center Chimney Cape. Uh, and then the Milford Street School is after that. Okay, no, the, uh, their mother lived what used to be the old elementary school. Yeah. Okay, she lived just south of that. She was the house just beyond that. Now, when you okay. come to the V, yeah. and you can go up Meeting House Road, or you can go out Main Street, yeah. um, there's a house that sits down um, that was rebuilt. That's where Chester Barnaby used to live. Okay. Uh, and right the, in, in the in the fork. Um, Is that what you're saying? To the right, to the right. Um, okay, the um, the Congregational Church. Yep. And okay, there's a street that goes up around behind it to, to the goes, house, to the the house that Hattie Pierce used to have. That right. I always coveted that house. Right. Um, when you go from there up Main Street, there was one house on your right and then I don't think there was any other house until when you got to Homoleski's. When you're saying up Main Street, I'm Go not sure north. Where. Okay, so you're heading towards Milford. Toward the, yeah, toward Milford, right. Okay, fine. And uh, and then the next thing you'd come to would be what used to be the old elementary school where yes. I went to, uh, first yes. grade to fifth grade. Yes, and, and then the Reynolds house is? Beyond that probably a good half mile. Okay. I ran all the way. I was young, uh, <laughs> and I wanted to see a female cousin you know, because all the rest of them uh, were boys. You know, I had a brother, and then there was Freddie, and there was Charles, and uh, there was Philip. And when did you go swimming at the lake? At Potanapo. What beach would you use? Was there no beach? Was there a beach? Was uh, well, I, I have swum at Potanapo on the beach before Camp Tevia had it. I've swum on the big beach oh, oh, okay. as a child. Mm. I have pictures of my mother there uh, on that beach, and I can remember looking at the picture and my mother saying to me, uh, you know, it was the old-fashioned wool-knit bathing suits with the supposedly shorts, which are about the length of Bermuda shorts, uh, with the skirt and top over it. And I can remember her saying that her sister Miriam had said to her, for heaven's sake, hike up those legs, you know, that's way out of style. <laughs> but um, we, uh, at that point, um, Tevia had the, the, the beach, the town of Brookline, 
sold it to them. Uh, yeah. Uh, I know the town didn't buy it, and they bought it from Yeah, well, the, the, the town of Brookline had the chance, and they didn't do it, and they should have. Do you remember talk about that? Uh, I was just a kid in, in uh, grade school. Uh, I was probably in the fourth or fifth grade uh, at the most when that happened. But why are you saying they should have? Is that personal opinion, or do you remember? That's my personal opinion. Well, there are other people that thought the same thing, because now the town has just this little beach when we had the other, and of course then the town was small, uh, you know, probably under a thousand people easily, and uh, but the businesses and the stuff that you could generate if, if you owned that piece of beach, you know, even less than 10 years from then, uh, you know, as soon as the war was over, uh, you know, say 46, 47, you know, it, it would have been a, a great way to develop business. Uh, and Highland uh, Whitcomb already had an ice cream stand in his store down on South Main Street. And, you know, he, he was an entrepreneur. He, he would have been out there, and some of the other people, you know, would have been out there and so forth. Uh, I, I think it could have been a money-making project. I don't know what the price was, and maybe it would have raised the tax rate in the town of Brookline to the point that people would have screamed bloody murder. But uh, to me, it's, you know, one of those lost opportunities. Uh, I've got a lot in my own life, but uh, that, that I think the town of Brookline, uh, you know, should have been far-sighted enough to have been able to do that, and it's too bad that they didn't. And I don't know, maybe they get good revenue out of Tevier and they don't have to do anything else about it. Um, you know, and because, well, where it has, I don't know whether it's considered a business or whether it's considered a religious thing. It's a non-profit, so they don't get taxed the way <laughs> uh, a business would. No, uh, that, that I know it's that It's virtually wouldn't. a contribution, it's a donation in any event. Uh, yeah, right, because I remember, um, I can remember Stanley Reynolds, so I had to have been in the fifth grade, and they worked, some of the local young boys worked at Tevier in the summertime doing different things, huh. and um, they came back to school with uh, one of the camp songs that the kids from the city brought with them, and as um, Bumming along the turnpike, sleeping in old cars, picking up um, cigarettes, smoking old cigars, or something like that. You know, and, um, they, they had this ditty, and there's more to it than that, but that's you know what I, I remember that stuck in my head. Um, you know, the, and of course, it was different to us because uh, it was something that we didn't comprehend. Uh, you know, and uh, the kids from the city, that, that was, you know, one of the songs that they used to sing. Uh, but, um, and, uh... Well, you, you, by the way, earlier mentioned uh, something I thought was neat about the charrettes. Oh, yeah, um, Pete and Clara Charette. Where were they? Uh, two houses one or two houses down on Meeting House Hill from Miriam Jepson, toward town. They had a little ice cream stand. And that was back in the days when a double-decker ice cream was 10 cents and a single one was five. And Where was uh, the stand? Uh, right there on the lawn uh, at the house. Is this the big brick ender with the porch in front of it? Uh, there's a porch in front of it, but there's two houses there 
the night that, if I remember, they both had porches. Uh, I would be hard pressed to okay. point out which one is which, but um, it, it was one of those houses. And uh, they loved kids. As far as I know, they never had any of their own. And so the last day of school, the teachers would line us all up. And Leo Austin and I have uh, remembered this together at Historical Society. And they would march us down, and we could have our choice of any flavor that they had of a double-decker ice cream, and it was their gift to the kids in the school, the last day of school. And I always thought that that was, you know, absolutely fabulous. And, uh, and it was a big deal. Um, Oh, let's face it, uh, we were kids growing up in uh, the Depression, and th there wasn't that kind of money at home for most of us, uh, so that you could have an ice cream whenever you went to town and, and so forth. You know, I remember my father used to give me a nickel or a dime to go get an ice cream cone, you know, that was a big deal. And uh, so, and, and they were always pleasant to us kids, you know, when we went to get ice cream on lunch hours or recesses or whatever, you know, after school. They, they were always very pleasant to us kids. Uh, when I got married and had the wedding reception at my aunt's, because my mother had invited just about everybody that she knew in town, and uh, Pete Charette came up with this little package and said to me, um, you know, I, I can't stay, but I wanted to come and say hello, and this is for you, and this was Clara's. A set of six silver-plated soup spoons, matching pattern, all six of them. They sit today, still, in my kitchen, in the spoon rack, and they get polished periodically, and I use them whenever I have a bowl of soup and I can think of Pete and Clara Charette. You know, it, it's a nice thing. And even as a 20-year-old, uh, I appreciated the thought that the idea, because Clara had, had died, I don't know how long before, but Clara was dead. And so uh, Pete had come and he had taken something of hers and he had given it to me. And that was pretty precious. You know, I thought that was neat. You know. It's a wonderful story. Um, did you have refrigeration, speaking of ice cream, did you have re refrigeration at your house in Brookline? When we, we, I was four, when we moved out of town, up to the north end, there was no electricity that went by until 1941-42. Uh. We had no refrigeration. We had a cellar that was um, dug out underneath the house, a dirt cellar, the uh, house was built over a side hill, so you had quite a bit of coolness in the cellar, and uh, that was our refrigeration. And um, I was Did never. Did you have a nice box? Uh, no, box? well, we had uh, eventually, but um, I don't remember the Iceman coming out that far. Okay. You know, because the Iceman, uh, Milford had an Iceman that delivered. And, and speaking of ice, of course, we know that the Boston Ice Company. Uh, cut ice there in Brookline and that the ice houses eventually burned. Uh, they apparently didn't burn totally to the ground. When my father built the house for us in North Brookline, one half of the roof was shingled with shingles that he salvaged from the Boston Ice House fire. 
and um, you know then that's how I you know knew about the uh, Boston Ice House burning and as an aside Frank Reed father Herbert W. Reed worked for the Boston Ice Company so he probably delivered to people long before I knew them ice from Brookline, New Hampshire and he delivered originally in a horse and team. Where? Uh, in, well they lived in Roslindale so he, he delivered in that area. It's part of Greater Boston. And um, little did he know that that way that ice was going to bring him a wife. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, a, a daughter-in-law. Um, you know, her. Yeah, cause Frank and all of the boys worked with their father on the ice route. Uh, but Frank uh, used to tell about. You know, he was ten years old and he'd be taking hundred pounds up to the third floor. And um, you know, you you just you get young and healthy and uh, you, you can do it. Uh, you know that that's it. They. The way we got to know them was because they were friends of uh, Howard Dickey, uh, who I, I've located that house for you. It's the one that has the antique furniture and so forth. Uh, when you're coming out of North Brookline, you go down over the hill. Um, what? what is, let me interrupt you. Forgive me. Can you hold that thought? Sure. Um, if you go past that house. I, I, I'm losing the sequence of houses here, but there's a great big house which is at right angles to the road with a center chimney. They're always selling some cars out in front of it now. It's white now. It's a colonial kind of uh, structure. Across the street from what looks like a small pond, which is really a quarry that's uh, filled with water. Well, uh, no, it's it's a big house. This is a great yeah, big well, house. Yeah, okay, well, that, that's one. a big house. Yeah, what, what do you know of that house? Uh, if it's the house I'm thinking of, because uh, um, it would be, because there are houses that have been built there now, but uh, when you go from the house where it has the antique furniture now, that was Howard Dickey's, uh, you go away from that, and there is a road off to the right that goes way down in, and um, people named Hayden, uh, used to come up from the city and they had a house way down in there that they, um, they built and uh, their son was an artist and uh, Salvador Dali type of thing. Uh, I, I remember I used to clean house for her and, and I remember one picture of a woman and um, he had explained it to my mother when she used to work for them. Um, her eyes were clocks and uh, they were different times so time passes and different things uh, that symbolized falling in love and being broken hearted and so forth and I forget whether her head was eventually rolling off down the corner or something but I, re I remember the eyes particularly but they lived down that road and then the next house because then you, you, you go down yeah and then there's a sharp curve there. Okay. Yeah. And that is a big house. Yes, that's the one. Okay. Uh, people named Lund lived there when I was a kid. Hmm. Okay, thank and you. I didn't know much about them. My father knew them uh, and so forth. And then, of course, the next house down from that uh, was uh, Mabel and Leslie Keach. And then the uh, 
house across the street directly from them was Grandpa Keech's, and uh, who was Leslie's father. And of course, um, Mabel and Leslie Keach, they, they had the gas station, um, they had a little stand, and they had the hen houses, uh, the old hen houses still standing there, uh, which is the next thing before that, um, was a Scabbard Mill Road or something that uh, right. Clarence Corey and Ann uh, did that, uh, Ann Tasker Corey did that development down in there. Um, and um, I think I've already said that Grandpa Keach used to um, drive the tractor out and they had a, a woodlot out back of our house uh, and uh, they used to go out through an access road and um, he came tearing out of there one day and uh, he wasn't elderly, but he wasn't a young man either, and went to one of the neighbors that had a phone, and the tractor had caught fire, and, you know, we didn't get a forest fire out of it, but, uh, you know, and that's, that was big excitement in those days. And um, I think um, the next house down, which would be on the left-hand side from Grandpa Keech's as you're heading toward town, uh, and I still can't remember her name. The woman that lived there was the woman that got rural electrification for us. Mm -hmm. And somehow in the back of my head, Casey seems like it, but I wouldn't swear to it. I, I just can't seem, I can picture her. You know, white hair, not very tall, wore glasses, um, you know, very sharp woman, but um, I, I, I can't pull the name up uh, out of my, uh, memory. The the Halls Manufacturing Place, of course Halls is now gone too. Right. Do you know what that was before? Was that, it, they built that. Oh, okay. Because eventually, originally, yes. Halls Manufacturing was at the top of Steam Mill Hill. You've got the top of Steam Mill Hill and uh, take your left and uh, there was a, a building there that was just um, uh, shingles that were dark. It was a shingle building and dark with age and so forth. And um, they, um, you know, started uh, their business in there. I'm quite sure. And they they used to do sewing. Uh, now my aunt Miriam used to work for them, and she used to stitch things. And um, one of the things that they made um, back uh, in the uh, 50s was uh, safety harnesses, safety walking harnesses for kids. And, um, you know, I, I got one for my child. And uh, eventually, it was before they had safety seats and everything, uh, I rigged the harness up to a web belt that went around the back seat, and that was Catherine's safety harness, so that she could sit on the seat, stand up, lay down, whatever she wanted to, but she was still tethered so that uh, she wasn't going to uh, fall someplace. And um, they also, Powers, I think, my memory fails me, but there were people that owned um, a business there, uh, and they did, um, well, one of the things I remember, my mother used to tie bows for them on baptismal um, certificates, uh, and um, then, um, uh, they also, they did dolls, uh, they had, back in those days, um, the dolls were celluloid. 
which, you know, proved to be dangerous since all they were taken off the market. But the old Cupid dolls and stuff like that. Uh, and they had a set of dolls that were called Playmates. So they had to have been male and female. Like, uh, And the way I remember my mother telling the story, that they, they were probably like Cupid-type dolls. And they did rattles or something else that um, they put like buckshot in, you know, to make the noise. And somebody got them into these Playmates by mistake. And so they didn't want to sell them. And the box on the shelf was marked Playmates shot by mistake. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, but they, they had different, uh, you know, novelties and things like that. Where was that? And that's in that same building. Okay. Um, but that was way back. I remember like when I was born. talking about Grandma Perrin. That's it, Perrin. Yeah. Lou okay. Perrin. Okay. Um, the picture on a baptismal certificate, if I remember right, was a child in their nightdress uh, kneeling. And of course, in those days, until you got to be a, well, even the grown men wore night shirts, you know, full length things. Uh, and. Um, the, the child was kneeling, you know, to say their prayers, and that was what was on the baptismal certificate. But it was, it was Perrin, that, that's the name, yeah. Did, did Route 13 exist? Yeah, Route 13 always uh, existed. Um, I, I don't know when it was built. Yeah. I know when it was widened and redone, because it was 1948. It was the year I graduated from high school, and it was nothing but mud. And our driveway was nothing but mud, and so I got dressed to go to graduation. Uh, one of the big stalwarts from the construction crew came and carried me out so that they could put me in the car and I wouldn't get all mud to go to graduation. I'm sure he didn't mind that at all. <laughs> well, uh, well, I think probably uh, he was probably 40, 45 years old, and he was short and stocky, uh, you know, I mean, so an 18-year-old kid uh, didn't make any difference to him. But, Did you pull uh, it off without mud? Did you get in the car without getting dirty? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, and graduation went off fine. I made my speech, and... Um, you were the valedictorian. Yeah. I was in Brookline, too, from the grammar school. And, um, and of course, grammar school in those days was in the Daniels Academy building, so on. Every one of my resumes, when it says, where did you graduate from grammar school, I put down Daniels Academy. And uh, yeah, <laughs> valedictorian, because it's class of 10, I don't tell them that, and I don't tell them that that was just the name of the building, but it sounds good on a resume. You know, that, uh, and then, uh, of course, uh, Milford High School. And then our class was small compared to the classes today. We were the largest freshman class they had had up to that time, which was 1944, it was 72, and we graduated uh, less, somewhere between 55 and 60. Uh, you know, there was, you know, that attrition, uh, some of them fall off and uh, don't finish school. Uh, we were probably the first class uh, in Milford High School to uh, have a boy had to leave school because uh, his girlfriend was pregnant. Huh. Not the girl leaves school because she got pregnant. It sounds to... enlightened. How did this happen? What's the deal? <laughs> well, I know they he, had, he had a girlfriend and she got pregnant and so he had to leave school to marry her and support her huh. and support huh. the kid. I mean, huh. in those days, the, That's fair. the 
father was supposed to take some responsibility. And uh, if he didn't, um, you know, the phrase shotgun wedding uh, was not too far removed from what would happen to you if you didn't uh, marry the gal. And, uh, but he, he was, as far as I know, the uh, first boy to have to leave school. We had some girls that had to leave, but, uh, you know, he, he was the first boy. Now, not all of the Brookbine people went to Milford High School, or did they? Yeah, they did. And then two years later, when my brother got ready to go to high school, they were going to Nashua. <clears throat> and then someplace along the line, they started going to Hollis. <clears throat> I can't remember what year that was. Um, Melissa went to uh, Hollis. Melissa graduated uh, from Brookline, which was only six grades then because they went junior high to Hollis. She graduated from Brookline in the same school system that I graduated from grammar school. Um, my granddaughter, grand Melissa Ann Jollison. And um, when I told the principal then, uh, he said, oh, they had eight grades? <clears throat> and we did. We had eight grades. And you asked me a while back, who was the principal of the school? We did not have principals. We had the teachers. Uh, we belonged to the uh, school administration district um, that Milford was in. The superintendent of schools when I was in, in first grade was um, Bales. How in the world do you remember that? Because, well, I went to high school in the Bales School, which is still sitting there. But, I mean, I, I remember the man very well. Um, he uh, was tall, and um, he had um, the features, I, uh, I can pretty much see his face, uh, I couldn't describe it exactly, but he had the kind of face that as a child uh, you felt was, he was an adult that was distinguished and uh, you should look up to. Uh, you know, and, and of course that was something that was drilled into me at home anyway, that you were uh, polite to adults. Anybody that was five years older than you were, my father taught me, you did not call by their first name and you treated them as an adult. And um, then Harold Bowley was the uh, superintendent of schools after that and he was superintendent right up through uh, when I graduated from high school. Harold Bowley's uh, wife died. My friend Barbara Thomas, 